Hello and welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for joining us. I'm Malcolm Borthwick, Editor of Intellectual Capital at Bailey Gifford. The industrial age brought with it hierarchical or command and control institutions, which have dominated organisational structures for more than 200 years. But this model is now irrelevant in an increasingly global, complex and diverse world. Instead, Hock, founder of what is now Visa Inc., argues that to survive and flourish, firms need to rediscover their sense of purpose. He pioneered the idea of the chaotic organisation. To discuss this, I'm joined by Gary Robinson, manager of the Bailey Gifford US Growth Trust, the American Fund and the Global Stewardship Fund. Before we start our conversation, some important information. Please remember that as with all investments, your capital is at risk and your income is not guaranteed. And this podcast has been recorded during COVID-19. So Gary and I are both at home as opposed to in the usual Edinburgh studio. Gary, welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for having me on, Malcolm. I'm going to start by asking you what a chaotic organisation is and how it works. Sure, yes. Um, So chaotic organisations are firms which self-organise and which blend characteristics of chaos and order together. So D. Hawk created the word chaotic because he was a bit tired of the phrases that were being used in the field of complexity science at the time um, to describe this phenomenon. Phrases like non-linear, self-organizing, complex or adaptive systems. He was looking for something which he felt better explained the phenomenon. The most popular organizational structure today is still the hierarchical command and control organizational structure. And in these sorts of organizations, people are treated like cogs in a machine. So decisions are taken at the top and they're pushed down through the organization. And the best ideas rarely make it through the layers of bureaucracy. It's almost akin to central planning. And it's been really hard for the world to get away from this model because we've been steeped in this structure for so long through our institutions like schools and churches and universities and governments. But Hawke thought this structure was suboptimal for a rapidly changing world and proposed the alternative, which he called the chaotic organization. Chaotic organizations blend both alignment and autonomy. In chaotic organizations, the job of leaders is to inspire people by creating a compelling sense of mission and purpose and by working with the employees to set broad principles, which everyone in the organization buys into. But then once that's done, the job of leaders is to get out of the way and give people autonomy to take decisions and innovate. As you mentioned, the word chaotic combines order and chaos. What do we mean or what does Dehock mean by chaos in this context? I think by chaos, what it means is really a willingness of leaders to let go um, and to allow individuals the freedom to experiment and to make things happen. So it's that idea of autonomy and freedom that is meant by chaos, but it's not complete and utter chaos. You know, Amazon talks about the difference between speed and velocity. You can have lots of speed but it isn't productive because, you know, there's no direction to the speed. Whereas velocity is about both speed and the direction. And it's important within a chaotic organization that people are pointing in the same direction. And so that comes through partly on the back of the shared vision purpose and in terms of the principles of the organization. One of the things that, that Jeff Lawson talks about, the, the founder of Twilio talks about in, in his book, um, which is called Ask Your Developer, is the importance of guardrails. 
you know, so so there is freedom, there is autonomy at, at Twilio, but there are guardrails there. And he said, th- th- those are actually really important, not as a mechanism for control, but actually in the absence of any guardrails at all, it can be almost sort of, it can be difficult to move forward because, you know, the situation for individuals is far too open and you don't know what direction to move in. And so having sort of broad guardrails around this concept of, of autonomy and freedom is absolutely essential for an organization to be productive and to have a high velocity rather than just having a high speed. And how did DHOC transform Visa? So DHOC is the founder of Visa. It didn't exist before he came along. It's really interesting that he's not that well known given the scale and influence of Visa as an organization. And I think that partly reflects um, the philosophy that he espoused. And I first came across um, DHOC when I was reading about the history of the payments industry in the US over Christmas when I was doing some work on a fintech company that we were considering investing in. And I ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole and I read DHOC's excellent biography, which is called um, One From Many. And what Hawk achieved with Visa was truly extraordinary in, in my view. So Visa has its origins in the Bank AmeriCard credit card system. So back in the 1960s, Bank of America decided that it wanted to expand its credit card network outside of its home market of California. Um, and it did that by licensing the Bank AmeriCard product to banks in other states. And this enabled the network to grow really very quickly. So by the late 1960s, there were over 250 uh, licensees of the Bank of AmeriCard product making up the network. And DHOC was one such licensee because he was the credit card manager at the Seattle National Bank of Commerce at the time. And Hawk had been tasked with launching Seattle National Bank's Bank AmeriCard program. And it was in the process of implementing this that he discovered just how much of a mess the Bank AmeriCard network was in. You had over 200 banks in the network, but each had a different contract and there was no standardization or automation or mechanism for dispute resolution. And so it was complete chaos and there were huge fraud losses in the system and massive inefficiencies. And so Hawk took it upon himself to fix this problem. And he thought the only way to really fix the problem was to create a new type of organization. He'd been thinking about organizational models very deeply for a long period of time. And what he wanted to do with the Visa network was to bring together all of these different banks, allow them to retain their independence, but ask them to sign up to a common purpose and a common set of principles and a common set of operating procedures. At the time, this was called NBI, but it would eventually change its name to to Visa. And the fact that DHOC was able to bring together over 200 independent competing institutions to sign up, not only to a set of principles as they stood today, but also to their future evolution was frankly astounding, I think. The chaotic model talks about purpose, principles, and people within organizations. Dohok talks a lot about communities. How hard is it for companies to get that sense of community, to get the buy-in of their employees? I think this is a really important point. So Hawk's views on leadership and principles are absolutely fascinating. He makes the point in his writings that most of most of what we would describe as leadership is actually tyranny. He says that a true leader can't be bound to lead and a true follower cannot be bound to follow. So in other words, you're only going to get the best out of people if they're doing something because 
you motivated them to do so, not because you commanded them to do so. And so when you're creating a chaotic organization and when you're building a sense of purpose and when you're putting together principles, the really important point is that people really need to be bought into these principles and they really need to believe them. And Hawk used a really interesting and, and not very often used word to describe this process. He called it educing. The word educing. Um, to draw forth something which is already present in a latent or undeveloped form. Um, And so principles which educe are principles which bring out the best in people. But most principles, I think, we have a tendency to default to principles which compel, or to principles which tell people what to do. Principles shouldn't tell people how things should be done. They should give people a broad sense of the direction of the company and where they want to go, but leave um, scope for individuals to find their own way. And give me an example of a modern-day Kyodic organization, a company that does this well. Sure. So I, I think one of the companies that perhaps best embodies these Kyodic principles today is Amazon. So Amazon practices many of the aspects of the Kyodic model that Hawk has described. The company's got a very strong sense of purpose, which is to offer customers the lowest prices, the greatest selection, and the highest levels of convenience. And it's also held together by four core principles and a further 14 leadership principles. Uh, And these principles are really tightly integrated in everything that that Amazon does from hiring, its hiring processes through to promotions and through to strategic decision making. And that's the glue that holds Amazon together as an organization. However, Amazon's also highly decentralized. You know, the company's always been really conscious of the tendency for coordination costs to increase and for productivity to decrease as organizations get bigger. Um, And perhaps the most famous manifestation of this at Amazon is the two pizza team rule. Two pizza teams at Amazon are called that because there's a rule at Amazon which states that no team can be larger than the number of people who could be adequately fed by two large pizzas. And what this means in practice is that teams can be no bigger than 10. And so these teams are autonomous. The desire is for these teams to be small, to reduce coordination costs. And they're also autonomous in the sense that they don't need to communicate with other teams in order to get their job done. To ensure these teams function well, there's still a clear sense of purpose and there are boundaries set for each of the teams which are are clearly defined. But each of the small Two Pizza Teams is led by a single-threaded leader who has the authority to build product and to make changes without coordinating or without gaining approval from other teams. And this is a wonderful model because it enables Amazon's teams to, to move quickly, to deliver innovation rapidly and even at scale. As Amazon has grown, it's now got hundreds of these teams that are led by single threaded leaders who focus solely on the objectives of those teams. And that's one of the things which has enabled Amazon to maintain pace of innovation and stay nimble even at at the huge scale that it's at today. And how much do you look at organisational structure, Gary, as part of your investment process when you're deciding whether or not to invest in a company or to sell it for that matter? I think it's absolutely critical. We place a huge weight um, uh, on culture when we assess companies. I personally think Culture is is one of the most important and 
simultaneously underappreciated drivers of long-term stock returns. And so when we're assessing companies, we, we're thinking about some of these questions about organizational structure, because the reality today is we exist in a world which is rapidly changing on the back of um, technological innovation. And for a company to thrive in this sort of environment, it needs to be resilient and adaptable and nimble. And the sort of top-down hierarchical command and control organizations of the past are simply not well-suited to that sort of backdrop. And so when we look at companies, when we analyze culture, one of the things we are thinking about is, you know, is the company structured in a way which is going to enable it to be nimble um, and adaptable in the face of these rapidly changing market situations? And I think the chaotic model is a very good model for enabling a company to cope with that rapid change because you have people who are motivated through a broad sense of mission and purpose, who are held together by principles. But because you have this autonomous, decentralized structure, it leads to lots of experimentation, which means that these firms are in general much more adaptable because you have all of these experiments going on and you have the people who are closest to the front line making decisions within these organizations that you know those, those sorts of structures tend to be the strongest and most likely to lead to success over a five to 10 year plus time horizon. Reading Dehawk, you're constantly questioning yourself, challenging your own sense of ideas, your own situation. Is Bailey Gifford a chaotic organisation? Yeah, I think, I think this is a really interesting question. I think Bailey Gifford does follow the chaotic model to a pretty significant degree. I think we have a strong sense of purpose as an organisation. In our shared beliefs, we talk about um, our purpose as being to add value for clients, to support companies and benefit society through thoughtful long-term investment. And that long-term thinking permeates everything that we do at Bailey Gifford, and it's enabled by our ownership structure, um, our partnership structure. But we combine this sort of strong sense of purpose with a very decentralized model on our investment floor. So, so we haven't formalized a two-pizza rule or a 12-donut rule at Bailey Gifford, but most of our investment teams have fewer than 10 people. And they operate independently from one another in terms of investment decision-making and in terms of process evolution. And, and this helps to keep people motivated, but it, it also keeps people motivated and accountable, but it also leads to a much greater degree of experimentation experimentation and faster evolution, in my view. So I think one of the strengths of Bailey Gifford is that when a team comes up with a great new idea, it, it, it's often sort of picked up by other teams around the investment floors and, and copied and percolates across the organization organically. But there's no one telling teams exactly how to go about investing beyond a purpose and, and shared belief. So the way that great ideas get adopted at Bailey Gifford is through this organic bottom-up process rather than through some sort of top-down command and control process. And so in that sense, I think we're very much a, a chaotic organization. Thanks very much, Gary. I've really enjoyed learning more about DeHawk and chatting to you about him. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, he's a fascinating individual. He's really, um, I, I, I just, 
it's wonderful when you stumble across someone that that's just it seems to have had such a big impact on on the world, but just is is sort of below the radar screen because I think a lot of the founders that have made an impact more recently in terms of the organisations that they run have almost been overanalyzed. You know, it's sort of the Elon Musk's of the world. It's how many books have been written about Steve Jobs? <laughs> um, you know, whereas actually, if you if you think about the, the scale and scope of Visa as an organisation, it, it's had as much impact as just about any other organisation out there. And yet, DHOC is relatively unknown. And so that's one of the things that that drew me to him and to doing more digging on his work. That's a nice place to end it, Gary. Thanks very much for joining us on Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks, Malcolm. You can find our podcast, Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking at baileygifford.com forward slash podcasts or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or TuneIn. And there you can find previous conversations we've had on the podcast, such as how the messenger RNA vaccine is transforming biotech why investing in some ESG funds could do more harm than good? And have you ever wondered why we are so pessimistic about progress? Well, you can find out by listening to our back catalogue. There are 21 episodes to choose from, so plenty of choice. And many thanks to Lord of the Isles for the music. The track we've used is called Horizon Effect, which is released on permanent vacation. And if you're listening at home, you're listening in the car, wherever you're listening, stay well. And we look forward to bringing you more insights in our next podcast. (music) 